Well, take your Bibles and turn them open to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. This morning, I'm going to begin where we left off many weeks ago, addressing the parables in Luke. And this morning, we are on that very familiar parable of titled The Rich Man and Lazarus, found right there in verse 19. Well, brothers and sisters, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the preaching of the gospel. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to your matchless word. It's a great joy for us, Lord, to have it opened up. And we pray, O Lord, that you would send your spirit now to us and open up these words, Lord. Help us to understand, help us to see, perceive spiritual truths, Help us to see ourselves, Lord, in light of this text of Scripture so that we, Father, might be found as Lazarus in that ultimate hope of glory in the bosom of Abraham. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin reading at verse 19. Now, there was a rich man... And he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus, who was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. And now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides, all this between us, you There is a great chasm fixed so that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. But Abraham said... They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. And thus ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, brothers and sisters, this morning we're going to look at this parable, and it's more than likely a parable that many of you are uh, familiar with. 
it's one that certainly causes many Christians to take notice and to hopefully examine themselves, particularly when they understand the context the parable lies within or lies in. And that is the context that Jesus is addressing both the Pharisees and sometimes his disciples, and he is addressing the use of money or wealth. And there is a intimate connection between how one uses their wealth and resources in this life. There's a connection between that and the next life, the life to come. It is easy to say all the right things in this life. It's easy to attend church. It's easy to sing the hymns. It's easy to show up when you need to show up. But as we've already discussed and as we already explained addressing the 10th commandment, it's much, much harder to love your brothers and sisters in a very meaningful way something that's costly. It does cost us something to love certain brothers and sisters who are in need. And Jesus is addressing that because of the blatant and deep and entrenched hypocrisy of the Pharisees. If you look back up in the text, you'll see that Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. If you look in verse 14, He says, now the text says, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money were listening to all these things and were scoffing at him. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. The Pharisees are listening. They're within earshot of his teaching and they are mocking him. They are scoffing at the teaching of Jesus. In verse 15, he says, and he said to them, now he turns to the Pharisees. For you are those who justify yourselves in the sight of men. But God knows your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. And that's sort of the the background and the context of this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus is not only going to confront them with just absolute truth, but now he's going to tell a story, and this story is a very powerful one. It's unlike other parables, and it's more detailed, and there's a name given to one of the characters, and there are some scholars that believe, well, that this was a a real person uh, in real history, and they would have known this person. I don't know if that's true or not. There's no way to There's no way to know. But as a master teacher, Jesus takes, knowing his audience, he takes and lays before them a story that absolutely should penetrate their hearts and cause them to awaken to their spiritual depravity, their spiritual demise and want. This morning, the outline is simple. We're going to observe the rich man. Then we're going to observe the poor man, Lazarus. And then we're going to observe ourselves with these two. That's the point of the text. That's why Jesus is telling the story. He wants the listeners to examine themselves in light of these two characters. 
so that we don't fool ourselves or that we are not blind to our own condition as the Pharisees were. They were blind to their own condition. They were spiritually blind and spiritually deaf. The ultimate teaching of the story itself is what man does with the revealed will of God as revealed in the two tables of the law. The first table dealing and addressing with God, loving God, what that looks like. And the second table addressing and dealing with loving our neighbor as ourselves. I'm jumping way ahead of myself, but in order to garner your attention and to cause you to get focused in on these characters, I I think it's important to set forth this idea that here this rich man has been blind and deaf to the things of God. He's deaf to the word of God. He's deaf to the preaching of Moses and the prophets. Thus, he's blind to the need of the beggar sitting at his gate. That's the point. That's the point. That's the, the, that's the thrust of this parable. To be deaf to the things of God is to also be blind to the reality around us. The need. Let's look at the rich man. Look at verse 19. There's a lot in verse 19 said about this man. Notice it says, now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. Verse 19 tells us a lot about this man. Now it doesn't give us a name, which I think is important. In contrast with The poor man, the poor man has a name. The rich man does not on purpose. God wants us not, this man is not known by his name and he's not known by God as we will see. He wakes up when he dies. Where does he wake up and find himself? In hell. He's not known by God and he does not know God. The text, verse 19, tells us that this man was habitually consumed with what he wore and what he ate and his friendships. They consumed him. This dressing in purple and fine linen is an important aspect of the story because purple, well, the dye that the clothes that dyed the clothes purple came from a shellfish that was very hard to get and very expensive to extract, rare. And so typically only the elite of the elite are like the civil magistrates wore the color purple and yet this man is either a civil magistrate or someone very important or aspires to be because of what he's wearing. He's definitely wearing, in our layman's terms, all of the designer clothes. And it's not just what he wore, it's how he conducted himself. He lived in extravagance 
Other versions bring out that this is a man that was consumed with his relationships and held feasts almost daily, entertaining his guests. You could say and describe him as someone who was really careless and just carefree. He did not count his nickels. He didn't have to. He never worried about running out of money. He never worried about his resources. All he had to think about is how to spend it. And that's exactly what he did. And he spent it upon the lusts and the desires of his heart, which was fine clothes and celebrations. That's what mattered to him. Verse 20 Verse 20 and 21, let's look at the poor man. He says, the poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. Now, the name Lazarus is very important to the story because the name Lazarus means God's help. God is his help. That's his name. But looking visually, the optics of it, doesn't look like anyone is helping this man. He's poor. He's fragile. Notice the text says that he has to be laid at the gate, meaning at some point either he became infirmed in his life, occupational injury, or maybe he was born with some crippling disease. Nevertheless, He must be carried, someone must care for him, and he was laid at the gate of this rich man's house. It's a humbling thing to be carried around and not able to care for yourself. And it's not just that he was weak in the body. The text also tells us that he was covered with sores. Now, this idea of being covered with sores, many of the scholars believe that this was from malnutrition. That he had been so neglected and that he had been so malnourished for so long that his body began to develop sores. And they wouldn't heal. He never did, he couldn't sustain any nutrients, any long-term nutrients formed his body to, to, to heal itself. And so he just continued to, to sort of weather these terrible sores. Already, most of us is just, we wince at the description of the poor man, don't we? In verse 21, it says, in longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Now, notice what it says. It says his desire was simply to grab something that someone else discarded. You can see the difference between these two. The rich man who had no care whatsoever what anything cost, how many guests would show up, the more the merrier, We're just going to have a a celebratory time. It's going to be festive. We're going to have music. We're going to have all the wine and all the food we can eat and drink. And here the poor man is lying at the gate just hoping that something would be discarded that he might be able to eat. 
Now, it goes on and it says that even the dogs were coming by and licking his sores. Now, the text is certainly, you know, setting before us what this, the, the great exaltation of lifestyle of one and just how humiliating the life of another is. In the Greek, these are not domesticated dogs. These are wild dogs that roam the streets that you could find in these cities looking for food, looking for shelter. John Calvin, the French theologian, points out, he says that in his estimation, though not willing to certainly die on that hill, he said it is interesting that it could be that as Christ is admonishing the Pharisees, because that's the main target of this story, that he's saying that even these wild animals showed this man more compassion than this rich man. That even these wild animals who had no master would have mercy upon this man and just lick his sores, and thus giving him some momentary relief from their pain. It's very possible, isn't it? But now Jesus draws our attention to the one thing that comes to all men, whether they're rich or poor, and that is death. No amount of money is going to keep any man or woman from dying. All will face this inevitable experience called death. And that's what we see right there in verse 22. But notice now there seems to be sort of a turning of events. Jesus is now turning the story, if you will, in verse 22. He says, now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Notice in verse 22, the poor man doesn't have a burial. We don't know how he was addressed in his death. Probably no fanfare. There wasn't probably any graveside service whatsoever. It just tells us he died. But that's not the case with the rich man. He died and was buried. I do like what some ministers point out in the text. Because both of these men were sons of the covenant, if you will, sons of Abraham. You can imagine the funeral service of the rich man. Oh, how that minister preached him right into heaven how they discussed and talked about how this dear brother was now in the presence of God. Notice, didn't he have the best feast? Didn't he have the best celebrations? Weren't we invited some of the, the, to the best gatherings we'd ever been to? Didn't this man build this add-on to the church? Didn't he give money to buy the hymnals with 
And you can hear the stories because I'm sure you've heard them. But see, they don't know what's going on behind the veil, do they? They don't know what's going on in that other dimension that the story addresses. Once they leave that physical dimension and now they enter into that invisible dimension, they don't know what's behind the veil. See, the poor man, Lazarus, he's died and he's just gone. Nobody even recognizes him missing. No one asks about him. He's really insignificant and really just a, a, a bothersome to walk by, to go to the house, beggars at the gate. And that's the picture, that's the story, the irritation that the poor man would have brought to the rich man. Remember, what are the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees are mocking, they're deriding Jesus, they're scoffing at him, they're, they're making fun of him. And the point of the story is to highlight their arrogance and their pride and their hypocrisy. The Pharisees rightly understand that the rich man represent them and the poor man everyone else because the Pharisees felt like they were superior to everyone else. And verse 22 tells us, though, there are two different things. Even though the poor man was sort of, sort of even though the poor man died in obscurity, and no one cared. God did. God cared. For in the story, his name is Lazarus, God's help. You say, how did God help this poor beggar? This man withered up in body and unable to carry himself full of sores. Because he endured that grievous trial by the help of God. He endured it. He waited daily for anything to come to him. He rested in the providence of God. This is a man that is suffering greatly, and yet he has been sustained by the hand of God. God is using him in this story. God is using him for his own glory, and God is the one that is helping him to maintain, and even in his suffering. And so when he died, angels usher him up and bring him to Abraham's bosom. See, God cares. And God knows all of the hardships of his children. He knows every one of them. He knows them intimately. The poor man or the rich man was buried. I mean, he had his fanfare. But notice in verse 23 how the rich man wakes up. It says, in hell or in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. Now we have the, the completion of the turning of events. The rich man had lived in luxury. 
completely careless of anything, almost to the point of just being idolized. I mean, it was obvious that, that the Pharisees believed that, that wealth was a blessing of God. Nothing wrong with wealth. In fact, Jesus never condemns wealth. There's not one parable where Jesus ever condemns wealth. He condemns the misuse of wealth. Nor does Jesus commend poverty. There's not one story in the Bible, there's not one text of Scripture that commands anyone, be poor. There are poor people, and for various reasons. So it's not the wealth, but when you take wealth and you couple it with an evil heart, that's not a good combination. There are many, many people that cannot handle wealth. In fact, there are many people that would be much better off if they didn't have so much to exercise their depravity. You know, that's what we find so much, uh, that's what we find uh, in a lot of these celebrities. Uh, We call them celebrities because they're to be celebrated, but that's not what we (laughs) should do. The more money they have, the more depraved they become. And it's almost a curse, not a blessing. When there's no limitation upon your evil desires. There's no, nothing guarding you. There's, there's nothing at this point where anyone says no to you. Everything is at your disposal. All the evil you can imagine because you have all the money that you can, you can afford it all. That's when wealth becomes a curse. So the Bible never ever condemns wealth it condemns the misuse of wealth it condemns the idolatry of wealth it condemns the craving of wealth but it never ever condemns wealth just as the bible never ever supports the idea that all should just become poor take a vow of poverty and become poor because money is somehow evil it's not the money that's evil it's the heart that possesses the money that's the problem. This is the story here. And he wakes up, the, the poor man wakes up and he is in hell or Hades. And he lifts up his eyes and he sees Abraham and Lazarus. Now you can see the rich man. You can see that these are, quote, these both are covenant children of Abraham. Notice in verse 24 This is his, quote, religious cry. The rich man, what does he do? He cries out and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. You can see he's ignorant of the afterlife. You see, brothers and sisters, what do we know? What does the Bible teach us about the afterlife? The Bible teaches us that when we leave this life, it's fixed. How you leave this life, it's done, it's settled. There's no amendments to be had of your life. You can't go back after death and amend anything. Your character is set in stone at that point. All the amendments that you and I need to make need need to be made on this side of death. 
Repentance needs to happen on this side of death. Any change, any way, the, the way we treat others, the courtesy, the kindness, the love, the endurance, the patience needs to happen on this side. It is obvious the rich man did not listen in church. It is obvious he did not listen. You could go back and read the book of Moses and there is just admonition after admonition after admonition of what? Love God, love neighbor, love God, love neighbor. Here's how you do it. Dozens of places, dozens of places in the Pentateuch, the first five books of Moses. So he is ignorant of his Bible He says, have mercy upon me, and there's no mercy to be had. But notice his arrogance is still, it is still with him, even in hell. When he says, send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. He is still commanding others. He still thinks he's the elite. He still thinks he is his brother's master. That his brother is there to serve his wants. I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to beat the Pharisees, if you will, over the head with. You, You are so full of yourselves. You believe that this man is at your beck and call. Notice the turn of events. The poor man is in the bosom of Abraham and now the rich man is in the flame and in agony. What Abraham says to him in the story is revealing in verse 25, he says, but Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Now, I want to point out what the text, notice how clear the text is. But Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you received your good things. He didn't just say good things. What he, here, the import of the language is, did you not get everything you wanted now let that sink in. It's not just that he, he experienced good things. You got everything you wanted. Did you not get all of your good things? There was nothing withheld from you. You received everything that you ever wanted. That's what Abraham is telling him. But not Lazarus. You know, brothers and sisters, when you look at this and you sit back and you meditate upon this story, there are people around us that just have hard lives. Lazarus was one of them. I don't know if you've ever been around someone that's in pain. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about an ingrown toenail. 
I'm talking about systemic, long-term pain. It's, it's agonizing to watch it. There's no relief. They can't sleep and get away from it without drugs. There's no relief from it when they wake up. There's nothing to look forward to when they wake up. It's just constant pain. That was Lazarus. And those, that type of painful experience takes a toll on the body and the mind. And yet, brothers and sisters, the truth is there are people around us that have this type of life. And they ought to be pitied in mercy. They ought to be pitied. They have to be the objects of compassion. I'm sure there were many people that walked by Lazarus every day and said, huh, well, he should have saved his money while he was able to work and he wouldn't be begging now. Or, you know, maybe he should have been more careful on the job and he wouldn't hurt himself. I mean, there are a number of reasons people use to not pity those who deserve it. Pity. There are a number of excuses we can use not to be compassionate towards someone. And what we're supposed to do, I mean, most of us can relate to some degree. I mean, none of us here are carefree and, and careless with our income. None of us have an unlimited income like this rich young man. But we all know what it is to get what we want. We all live in a fairly affluent society and community that when we want to go eat something, we go buy it or we can cook it, we can buy it and cook it, we can go to a restaurant. When we can do certain things where we demonstrate that we have the resources to do those things, to feed our cravings, to feed our desires. So we can... In some ways, we can understand this, but we, none of us here that I'm aware of have been in Lazarus' shoes. Where we are completely dependent upon somebody having compassion upon us or we just go without. I think the point that Jesus is emphasizing with the Pharisees and of course with us here this morning is that God cared greatly for Lazarus. And yes, Lazarus spent this human existence in great suffering. But this life compared to the next life is but a breath. This life passes by fairly quickly, young people. 
I'm sure all of us of age can remember. I can remember being 16. I can remember being 17. I can remember being 20. I can remember being 25. And now you're 50 and 60 and 70. See, it's the next life where there is that great reward. It's the next life where the Lord caters to. And now we find Lazarus. Notice what he said. He said, Lazarus received the bad things in this life. But now he is being comforted here. And it's you who are in agony. You might think you know we don't ponder enough of the glory that does await those who love the Lord. And honestly, I mean, yes, this life is important. It's valuable. We were made to be here. We were made to function here. We were made to enjoy this life. We were made to be happy in this life. But there is more than this life. And that's the point that Jesus is making. What did the rich man do? The rich man just squandered his life. Yes, he got everything he wanted. Okay, Yes, he didn't have a day where he ever wanted something and couldn't have it. No one ever told him no. Poor guy. I have often thought even with my own children and with others that one of the most, the easiest way to ruin a child to, to, as an adult, even as a person, is just give them everything they want and you will ruin them because they leave your home and they go out into the world and the world is not going to give them everything they want like you did. So this guy lived in his own little reality. He lived in his own little world. He lived in his own little kingdom, if you will. And he now is suffering in eternity. You know, brothers and sisters, there is an eternity and though this life is valuable, there is something better awaiting all for waiting on the other side of death to all those that love the Lord and love their brothers and sisters. There's something better. Immensely better. And that's a great motivation for us not to be so attached to the things of this world and make them ultimate and supreme. Notice, do you find the rich man in hell having any more feasts? Do you find him in hell with his money? No more feasts, no more fine clothes, and no more money. Just him just him in a very lonely place. Who had all the friends in this life? The rich man. Lazarus didn't have any friends. But in eternity, where do we see? Who's the one that has a companion? Lazarus. 
Lazarus is with Abraham. The rich man is all alone. Now, there have been scholars that have pontificated that somehow maybe this is also teaching that in there is a dimension of hell itself, part of the torment, is that, that this, no matter how many people are there, everyone's alone. Now, that would be in and of itself torment. I mean, obviously, the rich man rejected God he didn't want God and so now he's in hell without God he put himself there now let's continue on but notice this dialogue between the rich man and Abraham In verse 26, he tells us, he said, and besides all of this, this is Abraham talking. He said, but there's this great chasm fixed. Basically, this keeps anyone from traveling from one place or the other. And then in verse 27, he said, then I beg you, this is the rich man, Father, that you send him. He's talking about Lazarus. He's still trying to tell Lazarus what to do. Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may that warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. See, it's too late to care about others. Here's a man that lived his life. If he cared about his brothers in this life, he'd have been preaching to them. He'd have been taking them to church. He'd have been saying, listen, there's this great teacher named Jesus. Let's go listen to him. He has profound things to say and we need to repent of our sins and we need to be baptized and we need to be members of the church and we need to follow him. No, that's not what he did. He partied every day of the week. He feasted every day of the week. He celebrated every day of the week. Meaning, the point being, brothers and sisters, he lived life carelessly. He was careless. Without serious consideration for the reality that he was in or or even the next world. And now he wants his brothers to be warned and verse 29 and through 31 is the, is the, the lynch pen here. It's the, it's the key. And this is what drives it home. And but Abraham said, because remember, what are they mocking? They're mocking the teaching of Jesus. The Pharisees are mocking the teaching of Jesus. And so in the story, look at verse 29. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets Let them hear them. Now, of course, we know Moses is dead. He's talking about the preaching of the word. He's talking about the reading of the word of God. It's it's the living word. He's talking about reading the writings of Moses. Moses speaks in his writings. Why didn't you listen to Moses? Why didn't you obey the word of God? If that's who they need to listen to. But that's not enough. And this is more of the, the, of the personal 
character trait of this rich man. Notice his indulgence. Notice his, 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 he, he believes he's the master of his own brother's lives. And now notice, notice how he even argues with Abraham. He says this, he says, but no father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. So he still doesn't, he still is ignorant and his ignorance is coming out vividly in his dialogue with Abraham. We don't want the word of God. We want this experience. The word of God is not nearly as powerful if somebody was to rise from the dead. I mean, if somebody would rise from the dead, we'd believe it. I mean, how many times have we heard people say, listen, if there's a God, let him speak from heaven now. Or if there's a God, let him do X, Y, Z. If there's a God, just let him show himself. Why? He already has. He already has. Demonstrating that the rich man's lack of faith, pure ignorance, his deep immorality, he's just spiritually blind and deaf. He's deaf to the message of Moses and the prophets and he's blind to his own need and the need of his brothers and sisters. In verse 31, he says, and he said to him, if he does not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rise from the dead. Abraham says what we all know in this church, what we've all been taught in this church. That's just the primacy of the word of God. That the spirit of God takes the word of God and does a saving work in the heart of those who receive it and desire it and want it. We don't need people rising from the dead. We need the plain teaching of the word of God. What the Bible is telling us, beloved, is this. Whatever resources we have, praise God for them. Wealth is a blessing. But wealth is not a blessing unto itself. Wealth is a means, a blessing and a means to demonstrate to the glory of God that that love that you have for him and your brothers and sisters is real. And listen to me, Paul says to Timothy in the pastoral epistles that a man that won't take care of his family is worse than a pagan is worse than an unbeliever it's not about neglecting your family and just going and giving all your money away it's about the wise use of meeting needs when they come up if you can and you have the ability to do so why not here's another application that this man who did not care from care for others ultimately did not care for himself Love your neighbor as yourself. He destroyed himself with luxury. Luxury. I wrote down just a couple of applications right before the service, and it was this, that thing came to my mind as I continued to ponder and pray through and read it. It says, he who is deaf to the word of God will be blind to the needs of others. He who is deaf to the word of God 
will be blind to the needs of others. Even though this rich man has been cast into hell, he thinks that his brothers would somehow repent over some extravagant experience of the dead going and warning them versus just taking out the word of God and teaching it as it is. The power and efficacy in the word of God. It's the word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword, brothers and sisters. Able to discern, right, between all of our motivations and desires. It's the word of God that sort of fillets our hearts open so that it's exposed to God so that we can examine ourselves. John, I mean, James even says that the word is like a mirror and a man that goes and looks into this law of God and, and, and walks away and forgets what he sees. Is it, Well, he's foolish. How do we compare ourselves? Well, I would say this, brothers and sisters. We may not be as affluent as this rich man, but we all have means. How are we using them? How do we want to use them? How do we desire to use them? What's the, our heart's desire? What, where's our heart in all this? Is it my being a miser? I mean, the Bible certainly talks about saving money, but not saving money to the ultimate end of saving money, saving money for use to be used as it helps you, your family, as it may help someone else, but certainly keeping things in order. I mean, brothers and sisters, I, I mean, we, I mean we're, we, this sort of, you know, debates that go on, and I, I started to make fun of it. Now, maybe I will a little bit, but, you know, you, you know, the people that are in starving countries aren't debating over whether to be vegan or not. That's only in first world countries. That's in countries where people have way more than they need, right? That's only in countries that are, they're, they're so affluent that they're going to debate over whether to eat grass or, or meat or, or eggs. Or, that, these are silly. You, you take any of this food to a starving country, they're going to eat all of it, and rightly so. Third world countries are not debating whether or not to be vegan, I mean, we think about these things, brothers and sisters, that we call Christian. You can have the diets. You know, you, 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 I read this stuff on the Internet, and I just shake my head. It's like, well, if you're a Christian, you'll eat this way. Well, if you're a Christian, you're going to use this kind of medicine. Well, if you're a Christian, you're going to use these essential oils. Well, if you're a Christian, you're going to, I mean, it's just, it's nonstop. It's nonstop. Now think about Lazarus. A beggar, broken, full of sores, who had to have people carry him around. He couldn't go to church when he wanted to. He had to be carried. If someone didn't take him to church, he couldn't go. He couldn't get there. And yet he knew God and God knew him. 
His trust was in God, and you'd never know it by looking at him. But he loved God. I think it's safe to say that it's clear from the teaching where, Ab- where Lazarus ended up that if Lazarus could have gotten his strength back and got to his feet, he would help someone because that's where his heart was. He didn't even complain about having a meal. He just said, can I just get a scrap? It's a scrap. I don't even need a whole meal, just a piece. I'm satisfied. Brothers and sisters, let us examine our hearts just to make sure it is so easy to be selfish. It is so easy to be self-centered. It is so easy to see our desires and these cravings as gospel truths, and they're, they're, they're probably not. But we have to ask ourselves, what is it in this life that aids me to get to the next life? Because how I conduct myself, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I spend my resources has a direct connection between this life and the next one. Where will we all be when that time comes? Let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, we long, Lord, to be in that the comforting bosom of Abraham and that glory, Lord, that awaits those who love you. And we pray, O oh Lord, that that we, Lord, who have finished or who have who have started off strong, Lord, we'd finish strong. Lord, even under great trial, under great tribulation, under great distress, if body of soul, Lord, we pray we would remain faithful. Lord, we pray that we'd be loving to our brothers and sisters, compassion. Help us to be compassionate and kind. Help us to understand what that is. Help us, oh Lord, to, to laugh with those who are joyful and cry with those who are hurting. Lord, help us to take this parable to heart and to examine ourselves. And Lord, let us have a high view of the word of God, that your word's enough. We don't need grand experiences to know the gospel is true. We don't need grand experiences to know that Jesus has risen from the dead and is seated at your right hand. We don't need, oh Lord, thunder and lightning and and words written across the sky. We have your word. Let that be enough, Lord, to satisfy our hungering and thirsty souls. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.